Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. It's one o'clock. It's Friday afternoon on the West Coast, and it is another edition of the Veteran Founder Podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody. If you're not familiar, we spend the next hour just talking to these incredible, amazing people in the veteran community that are doing amazing things in the entrepreneurial world. I am your host, Josh Carter, and with me, as always, is the amazing, uh, intelligent, incomparable Carmen Nazario. How are you? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm so happy to be back. I missed you guys. Uh, I'm glad last you're week. back. Uh, it was, I just want to really quick. Just give a shout out to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce who invited me out to their Hire Our Heroes Summit at uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. What an amazing, just a summit of gathering minds to really figure out what, what people can be doing, what companies can be doing to help veterans and military spouses. So thank you so much to the U.S. Chamber for inviting me out. This week, Carmen... We have a great guest, a friend of Patriot Bootcamp, a friend of Veterans Everywhere, uh, a great advocate, a buddy of mine, Brandon Shelton. And so I'm really excited. I've been waiting all week for this, so really excited. I'm excited, too. Yeah. I, want, I can't wait to hear his story. And a fellow Army veteran. So I know. We finally get an Army guy in here. So I this, know. So you'll that's have something to, uh, to chat with him about. So uh, without further ado, Brandon, welcome to the show. Welcome, Brandon. Yeah, great. Great to be on. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, well, been, uh, don't, don't Josh. Don't worry. We'll speak. Uh, we'll speak slowly. Thank so you. you. I appreciate that. If you use big words, uh, I'm going to just be confused. So lots of pictures for me. I know it's radio, but we'll figure that out. Okay. Yeah, you got it. All right, buddy. Hey, so uh, uh, thank you for coming on again. Uh, so excited. We are going to talk about Task Force X Capital, which is where you're at right now. But I really want our listeners to learn a lot more about Brandon. So uh, when was it that you were first interested in country music? No, oh, that's the other Brandon. Never mind. Uh, I always get these two mixed up. When was he interested in serving our country? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, no worries. So, Brandon, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you were in the Army. What, uh, what's, what, gauged, what started that interest in, in serving our country? Yeah, so uh, it's probably a similar story that a lot of people have. Uh, I forget. What they used to publish a number of how many folks serve in the military, come from military families. But I was one of those guys. Grew up in uh, – was born in rural southern Virginia. Um, you know, my father flew helicopters in Vietnam. My brother was a Marine sniper in Desert Storm. Um, you know, I had, my uncle was in the Air Force, just generations. Um, is it, so just kind of in how you're raised, that, um, how you're brought up, it's, been, it's, it's obviously ingrained in your cultures and your values. Uh, so I like to say that uh, our house is pretty, pretty patriotic. <laughs> um, um, we'll, leave the, the, we'll leave the gun ownership bit uh, later. That's normally part of the joke as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I didn't grow up saying I was going to be in the military. I mean, and, and I didn't, to be honest with you, I, I probably didn't even know what the U.S. Military Academy or Air Force Academy or any of that type of stuff was, but obviously I knew the military. And, yeah, I mean, as I faced the, the advent, I was living in Richmond, Virginia to go to college. Uh, the school I wanted to go to was obviously overpriced. Uh, it was a lot of colleges are. Um, 
and that was the University of Richmond. It was a great school. I was lucky to get in, and the only way to, to figure out how to pay for it was to, to you had to there's some sort of scholarship, and ROTC seemed like the best path, and so I fought really hard um, to earn that scholarship. So I basically had to volunteer my freshman year in college uh, with every ROTC event possible, um, and went on my own accord because I, I wasn't necessarily I didn't have to do it as a way to build up the business case to, to win the scholarship. And so as everybody left my uh, spring of my freshman year to go home for the summer, I didn't know if I was coming back hmm. because the application process for the army uh, didn't notify you until like end of May. So, you know, that's a lot of responsibility for an 18, 19 year old, you know, like yeah. great parents, great family, but you know, not, not everybody has enough money to, to go to schools like that. And so I was lucky enough to find out into May, I won the scholarship um and off we went and so i'm i'm also of the ilk that if i'm gonna do it uh, or do anything i think a lot of people are this way uh, i want to go full tilt um I'm, i can't half step it and so kind of asked what's the what's the very hardest thing to do what's the tip of the spear clearly it was to go into the infantry um mm-hmm. then you need to go with airborne infantry and then i asked what's the hardest unit to get to um and they said you know, the airborne unit in Vincenza, northern Italy, but you have to be a West Pointer to go. Oh, so wow. um, you have to pass ranger school and do all these other things. And so um, they said you can't go. So, of course, just like anything in my life, that's the worst, worst and best thing you could tell me. Um, <laughs> you can provoke me. But, uh, yeah, that's that's how I started. I was commissioned in 98 and uh, started on active duty from 98 to 2004 and then two years in the reserves and five and six to do my eight years of payback school met my wife while on active duty she was a logistics officer i'm sorry army transportation officer um in italy which was great so i'll go over to be a lieutenant and see the world and come back with a blonde american girlfriend then beyond fiance and then uh wife so um yeah and now my sister is married to an army officer and so it's it's in our family um but yeah i did eight years total so what did you study uh at the university what was your um, sure. um, degree in? Uh, you know, you're going to catch me here. Let's see. What did I get? I passed. I know that. Uh, <laughs> let's see. You got a piece of paper. I got a piece of paper. Oh, I guess I got a nice little student loan for my freshman year. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, it was a BSBA, so Bachelor of Science Business Administration, so in the business school. And then I had a concentration, obviously, in finance. So it was kind of – I tell the joke that my senior year, obviously, you – and ROTC, for those who don't know, especially Army, well, I don't know what it is now, but you had to wear your uniform, I think, once a week um, to, to class. So you always stood out because there was, like, I think, I think there was 30 of us on campus. And uh, here I am on my senior level uh, securities and capital markets course in track. Like, I think there's 20 of us in there. I think 19 of them all had jobs at Goldman Sachs and others in Wall Street, and I had to – they're like, why are you in this class? Aren't you going into the military for, like, the next 100 years? <laughs> I was like, well, I just like this stuff. So, um, but it was finance, and then I minored in German. So I spent a summer studying abroad in Austria. So it's a good, it's your true, typical story, you know. I, I think I, by the, I think, I think the joke is, I went to college. I think I arrived when I was eighteen. I think I weighed like 135 pounds. I was five foot ten. I was skinny, skinny, skinny. I failed my first PT test, Josh. I'm just come on. Oh, yeah, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but you know, coming out the other end now. Um, I lived and worked all over the world. I think I've been to 56 countries. Um, I think I've been to all but two states, the United States. So, you know, 
a, a boy from southern rural Virginia. That's why I don't have a drawl anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of growing up and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, Josh, I failed that PT test. Come on. I, I didn't know what it was. I, like I said, I was volunteering. So they're like, do you want to take the, a, a test, PT test? I'm like, absolutely. I'll do this. It was fall of 94. And they're like, okay, push-ups. I was like, ooh, push-ups. Not something I, I did in, not something I did like in high school soccer, right? Yeah. I think I did like 30 push-ups in two minutes. They're, they're and they were looking when you're only like a hundred, a buck thirty, oh, five ten. Well, like no, no muscle tone whatsoever. That's, was, that's a lot of to gross. bring up when you're just skin and bones, man. Yeah, it was basically a giant <laughs> head with a stick underneath it. Um, but the uh, yeah, and then it got to sit ups. I think I did like twenty sit ups. And they, I remember like the at the time of they're called MS fours, whatever. The seniors were looking at me like, "What is your deal? Did you grow up in the military family?" Aren't you an athlete? Because at the time, I was trying to walk onto our college soccer team. But then it came time for the run, and I forget what my run time was. But did you was uh, did you keep any fast. of this from your your family that you failed the first PT test? Or no, was no, it? no, 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 no. Please no, tell me I they failed. give you shit about every Thanksgiving. If, uh, if well, not, I'm writing your dad an, e- an email. There right are now. lots. There's a lot of trash talking in my family. <laughs> it's kind of how we roll. But uh, yeah, listen, I failed. I'll tell you this too. As a cadet, I failed air assault school. Um, nice. Um, my first time I ended up going another year of passing, but yeah, I didn't know there was a, I missed the fact that there's a rope climb, um, and, and the front part of it. And it generally weeds out very weak folks. Sure. It also weeds out a lot of females or anybody that has, doesn't know how to climb a rope. doesn't have upper body strength. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my summer. My, after my sophomore year or freshman year, I forget. And, uh, yeah, I failed. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty embarrassing when you have to have your mom, cause I was at Fort Belvoir at the time. We lived in Virginia. I had, I had to call my mom to come pick me up um, on base. This is when you could drive onto the base without any issues um, because I'd failed. Wow. And they're, and they're like, why did you fail? I was like, I don't know how to climb a rope. I'll, I'll see your mom come pick me up, and I'll raise you a mom that had to sign a permission slip for me to just join the Navy. How about that? Because of your height? <laughs> wow. No, because of my <laughs> my age. I was 17 and a half when I got in. And that's what the age uh, you had to be, but you still, you know. It, it, yeah, you, I had to have a waiver. Yeah, you still yeah. had to have a waiver. It's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, it's yeah, but, awesome. I, I love uh, rifting with you, my friend. Uh, so you get out of the, your, what was what was the things, what, what were the things, I could talk today, watch. Uh, what were the things that you did while you were in the Army that you think shaped what you're doing today? Oh, man. It was a lot. Um, I wish I had appreciated a little bit more when I was in the mix. You know, as a young lieutenant um, officer, I was pretty average to, to below average platoon leader in Company XO. And then 9-11 happens, and I switched. I was a branch detail guy, for, so people know how, how that works. So I was auto-moved over to military intelligence, another year of schooling. They dumped all of us at Fort Hood, and, and you know, I took a task for a CENTCOM, so on and so forth. But my point is, is that those experiences, um, I couldn't understand it at the time, were quite special. The people I was around was, were quite special. Um, I still keep in touch with a number of my platoon leader mates. I mean, my first boss in the Army right now is the commander of the 82nd. Wow. <laughs> and, his, and his boss, while we were in Vicenza, was the previous commander. So, I mean, just I was around really great officers and NCOs and soldiers. That at the time, at 22, 24, 25 years old, I probably didn't appreciate, but, you know, Having bounced around in multiple industries out in the commercial sector, there's just nothing like it. I mean, there's just nothing that that's out there. I think when you go through any level and it underpins what we're doing now, 
we all, between ages 18 and 25, generally speaking, are volunteers, generally speaking, go through some level of organized and structured leadership and operational training. And, yeah. and again, when you're in it, you're thinking, this is stupid, what a waste of time, that guy's an idiot, you know, like, what did that, why am I doing this? I mean, I don't make any money, you know, all the things we all kind of talk about, right? Oh, right. man, I haven't, sh- I, for me, it was like, I haven't showered in nine days, this is, uh, you know. Yeah. All that type of stuff because you're an infantry guy, but but it's quite special because again, this is me pontificating a little bit. But what I'm using today is the fact that you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I went through that training and I never gave up. I mean, I, I barely graduated ranger school. So barely. the so the uh, training so, is is excellent. You would say then, even though at the time uh, you may not recognize uh, it was good. Tra- well, you had some excellent. good training. I just think it's. I think for the masses, which is what the training is built for until you start getting into more and more elite units, I think the training um, and then really the real-world practicum where you are placed in charge of other folks. So I use the joke in my business, not joke by example, I'm like, you're a 19-year-old Marine E4, right? And you are in charge of four other human beings. Mm. You do not get that people management opportunity in the corporate life until you're like 40, Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of depending on the company, and so that I think it's the training plus real world practicum, and then I was a knucklehead officer. So the fact that the beauty of the Western, you know, military command structure is that they attach NCOs against you. <laughs> so quote, my second in command was 15 years older than me, right? But I, I was in charge of me, right? So I think it's, there's there's a beauty into how that entire system is is out there. And because it happens at such an impressionable time of our lives, you never lose it. Now, each of us are individuals. I think it's we all need to be very careful of saying veterans are or aren't anything. This very diverse group is the three of us know on, the, on this, this podcast. But each of us reacts to that environment differently, mm-hmm. good and bad. Now, who are you as a person? And so the long answer, Josh, to your question, I, I think it's that, that, that window, that six years, five years of training, practicum, leadership, everything else. Um, I mean, I listened to a lot. I, I remember in great deal a lot of moments. I remember a lot of failures. I remember things my commander said to me. I mean, stuff like that. I couldn't tell you from like 2005 to nine very much. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't remember all that much because it's it's just less impactful. It's not, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think the other the other lever too, and I'll, then I'll shut up. Or lever element that people don't talk about is what, what would happen in like a company. A for-profit company. If everyone knew how much everyone else made, <laughs> no, like it's a good point. Times. Absolutely, like yeah. we do, right? So the economics are taken completely away from you from day one. Yeah, you programmatically in that same age from eighteen to twenty-five, unless you do something really bad, you're all going to get promoted on about the same schedule. That used to frustrate me, by the way, when I was younger. I was really, oh, I'm better than that guy, or you know, any of those you know things that a young person who's aggressive thinks of. But in hindsight, you know. We knew we all knew what everybody made. We didn't. There, there was no bonus. Right. There was no merit-based promotion system. And the OER system for the army was kind of gimmicky. So, what did you have to fall back on? You, you had to be self-initiated. You had to find something that fuels you, right? And this is why they say you do it for the guys on your left and right, for your team. But ultimately, what we didn't realize is that that we are we are emotionally and physically and mentally connecting to something bigger than ourselves. And that's again the beauty of the system, right? Yep. Right. Like, I mean, you can only know that through hindsight, I think. Um, and I was never personally in combat, like direct combat. 
Um, so, but I think then you would also know it, you know, when you, when those guys come back, the guys I've talked to my dad, my brother, and the guys over the last 17 years, 18 years. So my point is, is that I think there's something in all of that, that you don't realize until you compare it to your, whatever you do next job or series of jobs. And you're like, man, that, that mission, that training, the, the, the constant interaction working with people, that's pretty special, right? That was a special time. Um, and I, and you, and you choose, each of us choose to reconcile that for ourselves and use it in some form or fashion as we grow older. Well, what's my, my belief system? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and all of those things that you just listed out are the things that foster the community that we have today, right? Yeah, everybody's gone through these elements, whether they're, you know, like me in the Navy or Carmen in, the, in her time during the Army. We've all gone through these different elements during our time that, that uh, connect us as a community. And that's what makes it so amazing is that when you meet another veteran or even somebody within you know, your own branch, uh, those walls come down, but you add this element of uh, being an entrepreneur, those walls go down even further, which I've, I've found uh, extremely fascinating since, you know, since I started interacting with, with the community that you and I are so versed in uh, and so in deeply in, embedded with. Um, so you get out of the Army. What was your first sort of quote-unquote corporate gig that you got into? <laughs> well, my very first corporate gig is not even on my resume. Um, so I used Cameron Brooks, which is one of a handful of, um, whatever military specific headhunting job placement folks. <laughs> and, and I, I knew I wanted to go to wall street, but I couldn't figure out exactly how to do it from Texas. I was, I was in the, my last duty station on that to do was Fort hood. My wife's from upstate New York. Um, she could easily get a job and she did in pharmaceutical sales. They hire a million veterans all the time. Right. And so I actually took a role uh, at Toys R Us, which is pretty crazy that they just failed last month. But um, <laughs> but yeah, and like a, a procurement role that was internationally facing. And so what was funny to me or, or, or unique is that literally the year before I was working in CENTCOM J5 plans for the Iraq invasion. And all I did was in, interact with international folks. Hmm. I was like, wow, this is crazy. It's like almost the exact same job. I'm talking to people in different time zones with different protocols and issues and stuff. But I only did it for about six months. Um, you know, that team had a bunch of ex-military folks um, in it, which is what drew me to it. At, at probably not the industry, like retail, but that, that team. But it got us to the New York City area. And so that's what I did. And then, you know, I just probably like everybody, I started fighting the system, you know, right out of the gate. <laughs> you would think joining a team with some other ex-military folks who had done their own transition a couple years prior that you would react, a person would react differently. But yeah, I just, I remember getting into my first sort of, and Josh, you know me a bit. I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm transparent. I, I just, I can't be multiple people. I can only just be one, you know, myself. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so you either really like me or really don't like me. <laughs> was generally the trajectory, right? So I remember having my first scuffle there, not scuffle like a fight, but like, couple months in and you know a teammate i guess of equal rank if you will title um he had done something that frankly i forget but i had a problem with it right and i felt like he had kind of intentionally screwed me or a teammate over and so in the military i've been trained or my first battalion commander hey you, you you need to you need to pull that person around the side and go for a walk you know give, give a little bit of trust and, and work it out talk it out right so that's what i did 
right? Like, hey, let's go grab a coffee. We had a little <laughs> canteen there. Let's go for a coffee. And he's like, I don't want a coffee with you. <laughs> it's like, well, what? No, 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 no. We got, we got an issue. I just, I think it's best if we just kind of walk off the we'll work cubicle area and we'll go work it out. He goes, fine. He walks to me. I buy him a cup of coffee. I make small talk. We sit down and just say, hey. I start confronting him. And he just looked at me and laughed. And he was just like, basically, like, piss off. Like, and I was like, I, I, I literally couldn't go home. I didn't sleep that night. I was like, I don't understand. Like, does not compute. And I'm sure a lot of veterans have that same issue. Yeah. Right? Because what I was used to doing and solving problems wasn't directly obvious to me there. But I did that for about six months. Um, they ended up starting – it's funny. Back in 2004, they started uh, – Toys R Us survived. They, I'm surprised they survived for 14 years. But even then, they started laying on guys off. Hmm. So our, our department, I was the I was the newest member. So of course you work from the newest guy and work out. And so six months in, I was I was unemployed on the severance. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, sitting there going, wow, I'm really glad I transitioned from the military. <laughs> um, but my goal was never to work there. My goal was always something else. Um, so I just viewed it as my wife had a great job. We were living in the New York City area. She was close to home, and so. I just started hustling, and that's the first time I truly understood the power of the veteran tribe, Josh, that you're talking about. I just started hustling, and sure enough, a Marine that I knew was at one of the banks. They happened to have some roles open, so one thing led to another. I won the role, I transitioned, and that's how I got into banking. But it was an interesting first 12 months, um, Josh. Nice. Nice. We are uh, We're going to pay a quick bill. Is that cool? Yes? Yeah, sure. All right. So we're going to talk about CPA dudes. I know CPA is really exciting, and it's cool that we're talking to a finance guy. He'll find this very uh, mentally stimulating. So, uh, you know, accounting is pretty boring. Let's all admit it's really boring. But uh, CPA dudes, they do it right, man. They uh, Their prices are not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. So find them at cpadudes.com slash radio. Tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. We are talking to Brandon Shelton of uh, Task Force X Capital. He's been telling us this incredible story about his first job at Toys R Us, which we're really excited that uh, you lasted six months, which was awesome. So, so Brandon, <laughs> uh, so what kind of compelled you uh, to start your business? I know that your goal, you said earlier, your goal was to work in the financial district. And uh, so what happened after... Uh, this event where you found yourself unemployed. Yeah, the story picks up. I mean, there's just some ebb and flows. So, gosh, those many moons ago, um, I'll just wave top it. Got into Barclays Capital. That was a, a non-U.S. bank that, um, along with a lot of other non-U.S. banks, was rapidly trying to build out their capital markets teams in the U.S. Um, so I got to r- ride into that. I went into something called fixed income sales and trading as a junior guy on the desk. Um, so these are bonds, if you will. Um, you know, along the way from, and I did that from 2004 to seven, along the way started and finished a global MBA from Duke. So I could work at the same time. Um, one of the things that happened to me, which then I'll mention to you guys now that, um, um, is key to TFX and what we're doing now is that, you know, Cameron Brooks got me into Toys R Us. So that was kind of like a very unique type deal. Um, was I, what, did I get the same amount of compensation? Did I get the same amount of responsibility? Absolutely not, right? But that's a process you have to go through. But just a few months later, as I go to join Barclays Capital as a, just a person, not like a recruiter was placing me there, 
you know, all this money being spent to hire on the desk a couple years after 9-11, you know, I had a decent undergraduate degree, was, you know, Ranger qualified, airborne infantry guy, military intelligence, high security clearance, whatever you want to say. I was 28 years old. Great interview process, great tailwinds, right, to transition to this role. And they offered me a 22-year-old's job, age 28. Hmm. And I'm fairly certain it's not because I was a bad candidate. You know, and at the time, I got really frustrated, right? Like probably a lot of veterans do. Like, wait, do you not understand who I am? Do you, you know, you know I, I got... It's that humility edgy. that comes out. I get it. I totally get it, Brandon. Yeah, I know. But you're just, you're just edgy. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Right? And so I just said, I'll do it. Right? And I remember telling my wife, I was like, hey, I know we left the... I know we both left active duty to start a family, but we're going to probably need to tap the brakes there a little bit because <laughs> yeah. apparently I'm behind schedule. <laughs> and I just made a commitment. I just said I'm going to be the first here on the desk and last out and get my MBA. I'm going to get everything. I'm going to outwork everybody, and that's what I did. And in 2007, there was a trading role uh, open at Bear Stearns just up the street. You know, It was a legendary bank, competed, won the role, decided to have our first kid. So within two weeks of having that first kid – um, I was a trader at Bear Stearns that, you know, we went out of business. We lost $17 billion of cash in a week. 85-year-old business goes into the tank. And then two weeks later, I had my first child, so that worked out great. Um, <laughs> so so you're saying seat. is timing is your specialty? Yeah. That, yeah. Was that <laughs> 208 or? Uh, that was 2007, right? Yeah. No, 10 years ago this past March. Oh, wow. Mm. So plan A was military. Plan B was Wall Street. You know, now when you have like a lot of I know founders and others out there, when you have a you know a child in play, you know you're a parent. You know just the level of seriousness just upticks. And so I, I stayed on the desk for six months on the transition team. So it was just myself and and one other for six months, and everybody everybody else got let go. And again, that is where that veteran network stood back up, Josh. Yep. Um, all my friends and family, a lot of other networks, just really people. If you lived in the greater New York City area in summer and fall of 2008. There was serious panic, I, like Armageddon, world is ending panic. Mm. And what ended up happening is, is that I just started trying to network. It started casually and then just became all I did all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, and talking to veterans at other banks, at first it was like, well, I can't tell you that. You know, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, not say. <laughs> As the crisis heated up, you know, we, a lot of, we were just trying to help each other out. Right. Um, this is what I see. This is what I know. And again, special part of our tribe, I tell guys, is veteran good actor veterans not all veterans are obviously good people or willing to help but the most are the beauty about our tribe is we start to forget if you're officer enlisted and what schools you passed and all this other stuff what we care a little bit more about is that you and i step through similar footsteps and there's not a lot of us out here yep right and so to your point josh that's what happened to me and what we do and this happens even today for our companies people open up their personal and professional networks to you so that's how I got off Wall Street. I joined, and the story picks up, I joined a uh, startup consulting firm um, founded by some British uh, special operations guys that was trying to teach the mission command philosophy to C-suites. Obviously, there's a lot of companies that do that. Mm-hmm. We were a startup company um, with some enabling technology. I ended up doing that for four years. But for that four years, all I did to sell business and deliver it was to target the senior most military person at every fortune 1000 company i could think of that's right? an interesting because, strategy why do you think that that was the strategy to go with well the premise at the time was um we were we were no different than like a mckinsey or bain or bcg sure. or any of those type of guys and 
sure, we were all educated, they're educated, that type of thing. But what we were missing is, as a small firm, is that we didn't have an army of people and we, we didn't have a pretty logo. So I couldn't charge you $3 million for a PowerPoint. But I could teach you what we uniquely know and we've been uniquely trained on, mm-hmm. right? Right, and so that's what that that underpins our ability to beat out some guys. I mean, we had Walmart as a customer, oh, wow. National mm-hmm. Football League, J.P. Morgan, startups, rolled aluminum products, and I mean, but we were startup too, right? So we had our own challenges, and and we we hired a bunch of people, and then we had to lay a bunch of people off, and so on and so forth. But the reason I wanted to target ex-military folks is just because of the the doctrine we mm-hmm. were promoting. So if I could find like an EVP or SVP. It was an ex-military guy or gal, even if they served like a hundred years ago. I could generally, because of the tribal nature of what we're talking about, I could knock on their door. Like when they get their door knocked on by a million salespeople and a million consultancies all day long. But hey, I'm a form of this, I'm a form of that. Or we know this person together. Do you want to chat? And again, nine out of ten times we can get the person on the phone. Yeah. That's what we encourage our founders to do. But I did that about four years, 08 to 12. Uh, 2010, we moved from New York City area to Charlotte to raise our kids. We've got three daughters. We moved, we just picked it, uh, quality of life, love it. That's why we're in Charlotte. Um, it's warmer, safer, uh, cheaper, um, high growth city down here. And then 2012, my largest client, which was a family-owned distribution business in Chicago, hired me to come in and set up a strategy and kind of growth initiative shop. So I did that from 12 to 15. We did a lot of great initiatives, but again. You're, what, these these movements I'm describing to you are very hard, right? I'm jumping way over an industry barrier or a role barrier, but it was always centered on executing and leadership and people yep. every time. And so made a lot of mistakes in my strategy role um, with people, made a lot of mistakes with you know process. But again, the learning iteration, the number of at-bats rem- reminded me, you know, through all these ebbs and turns, reminded like how quickly they rotate us through platoons, right? You're, you're, sure. you're a platoon leader for 11 months. Then you got to start over. Here's your next platoon. Start over. New group, new assets and stuff. And that's what I was essentially doing. And yeah, and then in start of 2015, what led me to TFX is, you know, I've been traveling, again, plan A and B out the window, but from pretty much 08 to start of 15, um, end of 08 to start of 15, I was traveling every week for about six years. Um, it's just not the life I wanted. It's not right. why we left the military. So, um, yeah. One thing led to another. I wasn't searching to start a venture capital firm, but just through talking through first a handful of veteran founders locally and regionally, then nationally, thinking I could help them from a strategy standpoint. I, that's where I started stumbling into, Josh, like what you and I are working on now. Yeah. You, know, you at PBC and me at TFX. There's just a lot of unmet needs for this really, really dense pool of of leaders, yeah, better so, leaders starting yeah, businesses. So, so talk about that a little bit. Talk about your focus and and what you guys like. Why why this gap? Because I know that you know when when Patriot Bootcamp first started, Taylor McLemore, our founder, went to TechStars and said, "Hey, there's nobody really focusing on veterans. Five hundred startups, Y Combinator, all the top tier accelerators. Nobody had a program for startups. Like, what was the gap that you noticed in fundraising or funding for startups that led you to starting TFX? Yeah. Well, again, my, 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 the question I was asking, because you know, I'd asked for severance for my last business, um, so I had some time, and I was like, all right, I'm going to take six months. I'm not going to look for a job. I'm going to get off the road, obviously be a great dad again, and do all that other stuff. I'm going to volunteer for some veteran nonprofits. But in terms of the veteran founders I wanted to help pro bono, 
obviously through five or 10 meetings, you start reminding yourself that, wow, veterans are a very diverse organization. <laughs> yeah. So I had to, I started using the terms like founders and who are trying to grow quickly. That got translated into technology startups. And the stories, what I was struck with, Josh, was the stories were quite similar. So we're talking about male, female, young, old, enlisted, officer, Navy SEALs, pilots, to cryptologists, to supply chain admins, to you name it, truck drivers. It didn't matter exactly the MOS they performed on active duty. It, didn't, it seemed to not matter what city they lived in. The story was ubiquitous on two fronts. Number one, capital raising, really hard. And I think that is true for anyone trying to start any business of any type. And I can, as someone who's doing the same, right? I'm a, I'm a startup VC firm. I can verify that. But the <laughs> thing that called me to action to start investigating it more was, was the stories they were telling me. They didn't tell it to me this way. I probably had 30 phone calls, I don't know, in that first month or so. You know, once I said, hey, I don't have any money to invest because they thought I was an angel. You, know, you can hear the air. You can hear the air come out of the call. <laughs> I'm like, no, but no, but I'm an ex consultant. I can help you. And they're like, yeah, we don't need that. Either. And then they're then they're like, well, oh my god, I started panicking. Like, oh my god, I wasted these guys' time. Some of them were kids, right? I'm 40 something years old. They're 29, right? And so I was sitting here saying, okay, well, can I make some network connections for you? But they were telling me, I'm like, tell me, you know, you're trying to raise money. That's great. Tell me conversations, investors, and what they were doing is painting this picture for me that I interpreted as. No different than the hiring space, um, on the investment space, the preponderance of folks at angel groups and venture capital firms, so that sources of equity capital if you're a software startup, frankly, one, the numbers will tell you they did not serve in the military, right? So I, even if it's you know, less than 1% of the adult population serves, you know, less than 1%, I think it's far less, by the way, in venture capital firms, those gatekeepers who have to give you the time to look at your your product, your market, and your team, they didn't serve. So they don't, again, like no different than my first, my first real job out of the military, you know, they don't have the contextual understanding for how you served. And right. Josh, I think you and I would argue that's most important. I Absolutely. could care less yeah. about how many degrees you have. And I flew 17,000 jets and I mean, I respect it, but just as I served too, right? So, but what I care more about is how did you fail? And if I talk to guys and gals that you served with, what would they say about you? And then what have you done since, right? That's more, that's more important to me, right? And so I was like, man, the machinery is unable to interrogate that. So probably what these you know, young associates at VC firms or angel group administrators are doing is they're sort of probably giving you a zero. Right? Well, it's or such an important part of it, too. You, you hit on something that I, I really want to sort of drill down a bit more is that you know, when, when founders, and I've gone through this journey before when founders go out to go meet with say Bessemer and I'm I'm singling out Bessemer but you know they they're a great firm but, or you know other ones on Sand Hill Road you you go out there DFJ Madrona all these other ones that you you talk to they don't have a good sense of what makes a veteran founder different than anybody else that comes to beat on their door to get funding and so I think when you're you you bring up a good point where it's not that we didn't go to Stanford or Michigan or MIT or whatever to that makes us a great founder it it's these different tangibles that we've gone through that, that make a better founder uh, as it relates to being a veteran founder. So uh, I think that's a great position and, and a great perspective that I think I wish and I hope um, more firms start to uh, look at more closely. Yeah, I mean, but it, but you, you it, I'm of the belief that it has to be veteran on veteran to, to if you're going to put a risk quotient 
on if you're looking at three founders, two founders, and and part of your diligence, either quick diligence, quick scan, or formal diligence, is to interrogate the totality of their professional background, training, and experiences. It has to be veteran on veteran. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's just, in my opinion, no way, no other way to do it. But and I'm not saying like what I know every single MOS, every single service branch, and and I left active duty 14 years ago. So you know, you could argue he doesn't know anything about right now. Sure. I'll tell you this though, if I can't get the answer. I can knock on one or two doors and get me the answers I need through the network. That right. same tribe will also come alive and poke at it. Mm-hmm. Right? And and people are very vocal. You know, if you were if you were frankly a, a turd on active duty, I'll find out. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it's just you know true. What I'm saying? It's, so, it's so, a big oh, community, it's, but it's smaller than people right, really realize. Right. right. And by the way, uh, you could be a seal. I mean, some of the worst business founders I've seen so far could be seals. They could be West Pointers. They could be. You know, anything that you like, I think the normal um, civilian population, because they watch a movie or read a book, you know, we want them to say that all veterans are awesome and trustworthy, integrity, hardworking and da, 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 right. There's perceptions, but sometimes that works against us. So if they saw a movie or talk to one person, they will anecdotally apply that paintbrush across all lines. And oh, so, absolutely. So you respect the training that those folks have and the gates that they got through. Right? And I definitely respect for guys who did many uh, turns you know, overseas downrange. But what I need to understand is how you served in those experiences, how they shaped you as an individual, and where are you now? So I tell our founders, imagine yourself on some sort of like arc or graph. Obviously, you would say you're upper trending, getting bigger, better, faster, smarter, right, over time. I just w- – where are you right now? Because you may have been the perfect founder for this company last year, but for right now, you may not be. And right? no, no different. I've said before, too, I may not be the right GP in the future for our fund. Great. Somebody please tell me that. And either I will course correct, mm-hmm. get some coaching, get some counseling, or I'll step aside. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, but you got to have that, that situation awareness, but it's individualized to who that person is. Yeah. And I would say it's individualized to how they were raised, what their financial situations were, education levels. It's the totality of all of it. You just can't leave out this portion of their background, even if you only serve for like three years. You know, I could see a, an investor going, this person's 46 years old, they have 20 plus five years plus of, of experience, why do I care about those three? Mm-hmm. You should care about those three because they happen in the most impressionable portion of their lives. That's right. Right, and so you should really care what happened there and you should think through that as you look at companies. But that was the call to action. I mean, there's a lot of other things that happened. There was some luck that happened too, Josh, but that was what caught my eye. And that caused me to investigate. I had the freedom of time to investigate it. And this is where I cold called Todd Connor. (laughs) And Todd said, come to Chicago to May 2015 to our first ever muster. I go to that muster and I bump into Sean Madej, who at the time was running Patriot Boot Camp. Sean says, come here. uh, Because he and I were like handing out lunch because as usual, Todd, you know, being a Navy guy, no one thought of having lunch prepared for everybody. So we we're like unpacking boxes. And of course, veterans, we jump in and Sean's like, oh, my God, I, I'm with Patriot Boot Camp. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> they say, well, come over here. This is Taylor Macklemore. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, by the way, who was it around the corner? Mark Rockefeller, street chair. So I'm just saying that self-organizing, network-driven approach of our tribe is what fed TFX. Yeah. And so we worked from the founder and built a machine to solve the problem. Um, not necessarily saying, man, VC looks cool. I really want to jump into it, right? Yeah. No, it's great. 
Time for uh, our second our ad. Second ad. Let's do it. Okay. So today's episode of Veteran Startup is brought to you by Publicize. Publicize is a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize takes strategic approach to PR planning and your publicity needs in concert with your long-term growth and business objectives. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. Yeah, that's uh, thank you, Carmen, for that. We are talking to Brandon Shelton of TFX Capital. Brandon uh, is an Army vet and runs TFX as a, uh, as a well, the founder. You've founded this, this capital firm. So, um, Brandon, what is uh, your mission um, in terms of your uh, company? Uh, in, in terms of why is it why we started the firm? Is that do you think that's what it is, or what's your purpose? Why you right? What? Why did you found your company? In the traditional sense of the Simon Sinek, and, start with your and, why, and right? And then, and then <laughs> maybe it. do okay. maybe also tell us what you do. The why and the what. What in order to why? Yep. Okay. Remember, task and purpose, missions. Let's go. That's right. Three of us. Start um, with why, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Our purpose. So, and this is written in our documents, and it's really important. Is our purpose? Is, so it starts with it's in the what in order to why format. Uh, is to accelerate veteran entrepreneurial success. That's our what. Our why. So it's in order to deliver investor returns first. It's really important, right? Yeah. So we're social impacts, but we can't be. We we, we got to be careful not to confuse investors and gatekeepers. Are you like a nonprofit? Are you like a, just a grant? No, no. We're serious. Like we 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 will work with our founders through thick and thin to help them deliver value. Right. Um, so in order to deliver investor returns, develop leaders. And grow a value-add network. That's our purpose. So, so why there, we exist? So, there's a lot in there in, in the sense that you are providing capital, but you're also developing these um, these founders of uh, these veteran founders. Is that right? Yeah. So, when we say accelerate veteran entrepreneurial success, um, we can do that through many ways. Obviously, we have limited amount of capital as a venture capital investment firm, right? So we can't invest in everybody we see, right? But we can help. We can spend some time. We don't do your 10-minute, you know, intake type thing that some firms do. We spend at least an hour with you. And it's almost always via referrals. And the first 30 minutes is comparing military and life backgrounds. Then it's like, hey, please don't pitch me. Just talk to me. Don't just... Let's talk normal. You don't need to play the pitch game with us. Just talk normal. What are you, what are you trying to solve? Where are you at? Let us ask questions. So, and if, we, if we're not going to invest or take it further, we'll tell them that up front, and then we'll say, but, but, but you know, how can we help, right? So if, we, if we're close to a PBC, Josh, and I'm talking to him, I'm like, I'll tell her, hey, I think you should, you should attend. And a lot of times they've never heard of your organization, Josh, or they've never heard of Bunker Lab. So yep. we can help orient them to resources that are for them. And then conversely, we offer um, introductions, but we can do a lot of different ways, but we try to accelerate it. So even if we don't invest in you, we want you to be successful. There's a lot of reasons behind that, but that's the what. And then, and there's, again, there's three, three whys. In order to de deliver investor returns, we're a venture capital fund, we're a fund manager, develop leaders, our own leaders and every leader we come in contact with, and then grow a value-add network. So continue to get as many folks across Political spectrums, geographies, business lines, veteran, non-veteran. We want as many people looking in 
to the patrol base of what we're building and as it's connected to organizations like yours, Josh, as possible. Yeah. You know, we, we try to encourage people who may go brand new, I don't know anything about software or early stage technology businesses. I got to be careful now. I used to joke, me neither, but that doesn't work anymore. Um, <laughs> but I'll sit there and say, that's okay. But you lead people, right? Oh, yeah. Ha- have you almost been insolvent a couple times? Like, as in run out of the money? Oh, yeah. Okay. You can help. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, so I try to make it, you know, we kind of, we kind of carry the torch a little bit like that, but yeah, that's our purpose statement. That's on all our documents and it's with our investors. But yeah, what I love about brand, what I love about you, Brandon, is that you uh, are very genuine. You're very upfront. You don't mince words. You know how to get to a no very quickly. If, if that's the, if that's the direction you're headed, which uh, you know, a lot of founders don't realize that that's, just as valuable as a yes. Like you want to get to a no as quickly as possible exactly. because you don't want to keep wasting your time, right? And the other part of it is that what I've, and Carmen, uh, you may not know this, but you know, Brandon shows up at all of our events. He's very helpful. He provides very tangible, no bullshit type of feedback to our founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I think is different than a lot of, we've, we have a number of fund managers or people that are investors or whatnot. And, and having gone through Techstars myself, I've run into this a lot where I've met an angel investor or made a VC, met a VC firm. They're like, uh, I'm, I'm not interested right now, but let's keep talking six months from now. And then mm-hmm. six months comes along. Uh, that's good progress, but let's talk six fr- months from now. Brandon's not going to do that. Brandon's going to be like, okay, this is great. Tell me what, you know, it's a great trajectory. It's not for us, but uh, here's some, here's five or six contacts that'll make it or you know, here's some helpful. tips. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what yeah. I love about TFX. Uh, well, where, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Brandon. One, one, just, just because it, in, well, what we, we will also play a little bit of the, the, hey, keep coming back to us. But we don't say just to push you off. Sure. You know, we, we, we track all our deals like a lot of VCs and deal management software. We categorize them no different than like sales and stuff like that. The reason we say that is because there's something compelling about that person's background, what they're solving or both. It's just not, to your point, fits in the box. And we tell them that up front. Yeah. Right? So we want to follow you. And we normally say, if you have a newsletter, if you don't mind adding us to that, if you don't do a newsletter, we then explain why they should and how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing, right? And so it's an easy way. We read every email. Yeah. Right? I, actually read, I actually read the newsletter. And so you never know when I see something in a newsletter and I go, hey, hey, let's get on the phone because I was just at a conference. I think I met somebody you may need. Yep. Mm, great. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So where where are you guys headed now? You you've been doing this for a number of years. Where what's the next stage or what's the next iteration you think of of TFX? World domination. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Do um, it. <laughs> no. Yeah. So uh, you know we we had our fund one and we invested in six portfolio companies, five business to business SaaS companies, one tech enabled ser- service company. Um, you can see them on our website and our portfolio. Um, and now we're, you know, we're building our second funds, a much larger fund to nice. put some scale on this and put some improved mechanics. But our, our thesis hasn't changed. We want to invest in high-performing veterans that are co-founding and co-leading B2B SaaS tech-enabled service businesses. And we have a lot of preferences and stuff like that. But we're now scaling, right? I have That's one awesome. of my investors uh, um, step forward and actually join the team. So Kevin Eckert, he's a Marine, unfortunately. It's all but, right. Um, you just give him, give him know, crayons just, on day one. That's all. But it's a it's a great signal to what we're building. You've got a guy that is was working in the Stevens family office doing some, you know, this is a mature, uh, experienced investors who sees what we're building um, and wants to help scale it. 
So for him to quit a very well-paying job with good benefits and join us where we don't have those things, <laughs> no different than any other startup, yeah. I think is a good signal, right? And we hiring, we hired a military spouse who came to us from the Valley, moved to Charlotte. She's amazing, doing a wider range of things, Abby Johnson. You know, we set up a rotational internship program at the Citadel. So for a lot of you that don't know, the, Cit- the Citadel here in Charleston, South Carolina, has deep roots to the military going back many generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've done, and there's hundreds of military veterans on campus, mm-hmm. hundreds for that little school. And so what we worked out with the staff at the school is every semester we get one of their top um, veterans who are studying entrepreneurship um, and finance. And so awesome. and, as an intern. And so our first guy through the door, Jan Lameek, I this kid is extraordinary, <laughs> um, an extraordinary guy, right? And what was he doing? He was in a Marine grunt. Now he's getting his degree. I mean, so top flight. So again, building on infrastructure, spreading the network, raising more capital, and ultimately doing more deals, right? We want to make make more investments. So you and I spoke before we got on the air a little bit, and we have about, I don't know, nine minutes left to to kind of talk about this, but I really want to spend a little bit of time on on this subject, which is what do you think veteran founders, and I'll even lump military spouses into this because we serve both, but what do you think it is that military veterans and spouses need when it comes to their their startups? I know NASA is doing a study right now with Purdue, and you and I sit on this committee that that helps drive this. But you know, we've talked a little bit about what do you think is the the biggest driver and the biggest need for veteran founders uh, as it relates to their business that can help them get a leg up on their non-veteran counterparts. What what is that gap? What is what is missing? You think? I don't think there's a gap. I think they already have it. Yeah. It's, it's a function of how we started our, our professional careers in that window of time. Um, now, what, 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 what we're doing, obviously, we think, we think we can deliver better than market returns by the type of founders we partner with and supporting them after the investment. But, you know, the machinery of venture capital, the machinery of small business lending or whatever your resources are for capital um, are existing. And there's nothing the three of us on this phone, this this interview will ever do to change that in the near term, right? So that founder, that veteran founder can't sit there and say, man, VC's broken or this is broken. They're going to have to adjust fire and adjust their game, but they need to go into it eyes wide open knowing that generally speaking, the people on the other side of the table who are paid good money and are very talented individuals to, you know, do the same thing I'm doing, right? Make, make choices, do some filtering, vetting, they're probably not going to understand your military background. And I think it's that veteran founder, no matter if they're in their late 40s and 50s, and they served many moons ago, or they're fresh off active duty. They need to make it really clear up front of how, what about their military background in like 60 seconds or less as part of their introduction. How are they using it right here, right now? You know, I was an ODA team leader. I had 11 uh, folks over the age of 35 reporting to me. They were, these were all experts in their fields. So in high intensity environments, I've been I've had specific training and real world practice on how to handle that. So that's why I'm going to take the CEO seat in our startup. Right. I mean, right. That's the thing. The only other thing I would say in general is a blanket statement. And I go, I know this is for every founder, but for the veteran founders that I focus on, I find a lot of them are on the equity treadmill and can't explain it. Hmm. It's, it's, it's like, why, why are you right? Equity capital is super expensive. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I've sit at these conferences, and the reason I don't sit on panels anymore is because I say this, is that, you know, don't raise any venture capital money ever. 
anything ever, right? Yeah. It's very expensive. You're going to give up a large chunk of your ownership every time you do that. And by the way, don't sit there and think that we are just going to sit there. Right. Oh, you're an investor. You hide in the cap table. No, no. At some point, we want to return on yeah. our money. And it can't just be like, here's, here's your principal back. Right. We want outsized returns for the risk that we're taking. Right. And so we're kind of owners. Yeah. So I, I, I tell founders, sometimes they don't like to hear it, but because they're veterans, I'll speak bluntly to them. I'm like, I don't know why you're raising capital right now. You may have other doors. You may have other resources. Or frankly, maybe your idea is not good enough. But you're going to get on this treadmill. And then a year or two from now, you may ask yourself, like, why am I on it? Right. And so I always tell them is make sure the distance between your head and your heart and your mouth really are very small. Because we, I see a lot of really talented ex-military folks, very smart. They have that leadership training and core. Um, they're, you know, they're self-taught, self-initiated, network-driven. And they will get through the first probably three, four, five months of milestones and barriers that maybe their counterparts wouldn't. And now they're raising capital. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're trying to solve a problem because you want to work for yourself. Right. You're hammer, look, you're hammer looking for the nail. You're tired of working in Bank of America or General Motors or some large behemoth where you're an, you're an individual contributor. And so starting a company allows you to be back in control. Don't yep. do it. Yeah. I, I just tell them, don't do it. We, don't, we won't invest in you. I'll tell you that. You need to tell me a story. Like if you talk to Nick Black on our team, love him, our very first investment. He does not care about the skinny jeans and the vanity and the meetups and all this, all that stuff. He respects it, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care what his title is. He doesn't care about any of that. All he wants to do is solve the problem and take care of his teammates. Yeah. That's it. Yep. His purpose statement never changes. Right. I mean, that's what we're trying to solve. Right. So he can pivot all he wants. But our challenge to him as investors is don't mission creep away from your purpose just because now you feel bad that you're three years in and you raise this money and you can't figure it out. And you don't want to give up. Right. But if you just always start with what I've been put on this earth to solve this problem, it'll bring out the best of your military training and then all the rest of it that you as an individual bring to the fight. And then people around you, because you know how to set a team, you know how to set a mission, you know how to sell that framework. They'll rally around you. I'm telling you, you look at any of our six companies, talk to any of those founders, they're all doing it that way. They're all doing it in their own way and manner and style. But some of their non-veteran co-founders and execs, you kind of look at them and you're like, why, why are you with this team? You could be making <laughs> a ton more money elsewhere. And you, you never hear from them like, well, Brandon, I've always wanted to work at a startup or you know, <laughs> I want to make $5 million in my exit. It's always like, like Tonio's team at Vimo. And they'll sit there and say, I believe in Tonio, and this problem we're solving, these like student loan crisis, must be fixed, mm-hmm. right? And I think, again, if, you, if that's your start point, especially given that, that's, that training and that background and that essence in most veterans, it'll unlock a lot of resource around you. Yeah, that's no, I awesome. Love it. I love it too. Yeah, so we've been talking to Brandon Shelton, uh, founder, partner, TFX Capital. Uh, any parting shots? We got about uh, three minutes left. Uh, this has been great. I appreciate it. it. But uh, what what else? Uh, what what's the one? What's the one piece of advice that you would give our founders who are listening today? What's that one thing that you give every founder uh, that you could possibly impart here on our audience? Ooh. Well, I will say up front, I'll put my disclaimer, no different than all the books you read and podcasts and conferences, you should discount 90% of what you hear and see um, and make your own decision. That's probably the biggest thing that I would offer um, is that everybody, I'm just one man. I've been doing this for three years. I'm not an expert. 
you know, n- none of our companies have had a big blockbuster exit yet, you know. So, you know, I just have an opinion from doing it for a few years. Sure. Um, so no, that's that's everybody in the ecosystem, everybody you come across, an angel investor, an advisor, a customer, um, a channel partner, uh, a teammate. You know, you one of the best things veteran founders have is that we've been taught how to backwards plan. Everybody learns it. Yep. Backwards plan. And all of us have been taught situational awareness from your E1, O1 up, right? And for some reason in the commercial landscape, and especially in startups, I, you know, these same veterans would react uniquely based on one piece of data. Well, we all know that you know, that's just information. That's not actual intelligence, right? So everything you hear and see, especially on this call, especially with me, discount 99% of it. <laughs> if, you go, if you go to Patriot Bootcamp, discount half of it, right? It's not because it's bad or... But it's just different people's opinions, and what you're trying to do as a leader and as a decision maker, you're trying to, you're trying to make the best decision you can with probably about sixty percent of the information, right? Yep. Yeah. No. Definitely. Uh, where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah, my email is uh, b shelton, so b s h e l t o n at tfxcap.com, um, and tfxcap.com is our website. We put a video in there, so if you want to see my ugly mug, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're trying to articulate what we're doing and how we're doing it. Yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. And I am sorry I missed that uh, retreat recently. I was uh, really bummed I couldn't make it out to see you. But uh, look forward to seeing you here uh, hopefully soon. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll chat with you soon. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Brandon. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah. So yeah. you've been listening to the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday, starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.